I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. With regulars, me, Russell Guyver, with Peter Marsh, and with Andy Bravery back with us as well. Hello to, to you guys. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Yeah, you? Excellent. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Yep. Finally, and, finally recovered from Monday. <laughs> oh, no, I was hoping you were going to mention that again. <laughs> Nothing happened on Monday. Nothing at all. That's the problem. Uh, yeah, the Palace <laughs> game. Um, but we, are, we three are actually four because we have a very special guest with us tonight as well, making his debut on the podcast. It's a man who I grew up watching. Um, he's a star of, well, from 83 to 91 with the Albion. Um, he's a man many people will be familiar with. His name is Steve Penny. Hello, Steve. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Russell. Hello, guys. Nice to meet you. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Oh, yeah. It's an ab- absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, you are, I know we're going to traipse out the older uh, overused cliche, but you really are a legend of the club, at least in my eyes. I think um, you, you just, uh, you were with us for a long time, number of games. I think you played something like about 140 games for us, didn't you? Popped in with a few goals as well. And um, and an eight-year stint, you know, that's uh, that's no mean feat. So um, it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Um, wh- what we wanted to talk about really was uh, was just through your um, your career, Um and maybe maybe some other questions besides will come in as well. But just to start off with, can you tell us where it all began? Because you are from Northern Ireland, Ballymena. Uh, I think you were born and brought up there, weren't you? And, uh, and played for them as well, Ballymena United. Is that right? I did indeed, yeah. But my, most of my soccer started off, obviously, primary school. Then I played a lot in the boys' brigade, which was very competitive. Um, I went to a grammar school, so that was mainly rugby. So for... For a few years, I played rugby, although, as I say, I still played the football with uh, uh, with the boys' brigade. So when I got to about 16, I had to make the decision between playing rugby and playing soccer. So I decided, I, I, I mean, I like both games, but I preferred the football. So I signed for Ballymena United. And uh, I suppose from about 16 on, I played for the reserves and then the first team up until I came over to Brighton. So... I was glad. I mean, I did, I did like the rugby. All my friends played the rugby, but uh, I, I still preferred the soccer. 
be honest. Yeah, and doing the research, I, I read up that you uh, you'd been in rugby as well. I, I, um, I didn't realise that. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, um, I, was a, I, was a, I was a small scrum half. I mean, I, I, had so many, I, I had so many injuries in football. God knows how many I would have had if I'd have played rugby. Could <laughs> <laughs> uh, have been off the scale, couldn't it? It would have been. Yes, it would have been. You were saying how many matches I played for Brighton, but if I'd have stayed fit, I probably would have played two or three times as many, which was a big disappointment for myself. But, I mean, there's absolutely nothing you can do with injuries, and it, just one mm. was on top of the other. So, uh, I mean, I look back now and I wish I could have played another probably a couple of hundred games would have been would have been nice but uh, just unfortunately I tried everything tried so many operations and I just I couldn't I, I couldn't always get the, the you know the problem sorted out to be honest yeah yeah it's a great shame um Andy yeah 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 Steve I was I, yeah, I was reading a little bit about that and um it it sounded from um from what I was reading that actually somewhere along the line some of the medical advice or treatment that you got wasn't wasn't what you really needed. You talked about going to Harley Street earlier, and I just wondered, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what happened yeah, there? I mean, I don't want to mention any names, but uh, and I mean, I'm sure the gentleman's away. I mean, listen, I went to look. I went to local guys, and uh, I suppose that we persevered with them maybe for too long, and in the end, I went to Harley Street, and the problem was of it was a very small problem that was sorted out in the end. But I mean, I wasted eighteen months to 20 months of my when I probably probably was at the peak of my career and uh, but I mean that that's just the way the guy was trying to help me there was nothing I mean I have no real complaints I mean it's just at the time you just try to go to somebody and you, you go to whoever but the, I think the club in the end decided to then send me up to Harley Street and, that, and that's where the problem was diagnosed properly um, and I've never yeah. had a problem with that knee since to this day. I mean, I, I, I finished with a, I finished uh, my career at Burnley with an Achilles tendon injury. That I mean, I still have that problem today. I couldn't go running around, which I would love to do. Um, but the knee, the, the thing, the, the problem I had with the knee could have been resolved very, very easily. I think if I had the right diagnosis at the time, yeah, it would have allowed me to progress my career and to play a lot more games for Brighton at the time. But when you're going through all this, you just, I mean, it's difficult. It's, e it's easier looking back on it and saying this is what should have happened. But everybody was trying their best at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's of that era, unfortunately. A lot of advances exactly. have been made since. But yeah. It's it's just, nowadays, uh, nowadays you'd have been probably flown to the States or you would have been going somewhere and you're back playing in about four weeks. You know, that's that's just the difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, Andy started off by he spoiled the podcast at the beginning by mentioning Palace. By the way, I I forgot to ask you, did you watch the game the other day? Uh, yes, I watched bits of it and then I listened to the second half on the radio. Um, but I mean, how Brighton never at least got a point. I mean, I, I mean, I'm so disappointed they didn't get a point. They should have won the game, but to give away, a, I mean, to lose at the end was uh, was really really bad. It was poor. And that's happened a few times with Brighton this year. There's been a few things just at the last where they've maybe slipped up after playing so well, after dominating the game. So, and especially against Palace, of course, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, but they're still playing. You know, they're still playing good football. Um, start of the season when I watched them, I thought there's no problem. Brighton will stay up this year. They were playing so well, but they weren't picking up the points. That was the worrying thing. They played Manchester United. I've never been as disappointed in the match. Played them off the park. 
and give a goal away. Give lost, I think, in about the seventh minute of extra time or injury time. I mean, that was soul destroying, really. I mean, I think that's the worst I since I played football. That's the worst I have felt, to be honest, watching a football match. Um, and then, uh, and then there was a there was a few matches there recently where they weren't particularly playing well. And then recently they've picked up again. But that was a bad result because it stopped the um, it stopped the unbeaten run. They were going well there for four or five or six games, and it's just well we'll see how they go against West Brom on Saturday. But um, professionally, it was bad to lose that game and the last kick of the ball. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, even a draw, even the fans could have, even like even a draw would have been tough on Brighton. But uh, anyway. Yeah, it's a, it's a gutter, and uh, we don't seem to have had a return on our luck either this season. That's the thing. We've we've had some bad luck, but, and we've had some games we deserve to win, but we don't seem to have had any good luck where we've won games we don't deserve to. Not much, anyway. Maybe, uh, yeah. yeah, well, maybe hmm. they'll come in the next, you know, in the last part of the season, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we might uh, we might speak a bit more about that later on. But okay. just going back to your to your earlier days, then, yeah. Um, so, so Balaminas, what, what was it like growing up there? What kind of a place? Because I've, I've not been to Northern Ireland at all, actually. I need to Dublin in, in the south. But uh, t- tell us about Balamina, particularly of that era. How was That's it? Balamina, Balamina was a, is a lovely place to live. It's not really... I mean, I suppose in the 80s and that, that was during the Troubles, but we never saw too much of it in this area. So that was good growing up. Um, mm. um very, very competitive in sport, very, a good area for football, for golf, for a number of different, uh, very, very competitive area in sporting. So, um, no, it was a nice place to grow up. And I, out of all the places I lived, I, I like Brighton. If I had to be anywhere else but Ballymena, I would love to be living in Brighton. I, I like Brighton, to be honest. Um, but it's nice home. I mean, Ballymena is home, so I always wanted to come back home. So I'm quite happy, yeah. Yeah, and we're speaking to you from there um, tonight. Um, in fact, I say tonight, it's coming towards tonight because you've got the beautiful sunset we were talking about off air that's just gradually drifting out of view now. Uh, it's uh, You're going to be in the dark soon, I think. But, uh, okay. well, I'll get the lights yeah. shortly, yeah. But it, it does look gorgeous, I have to say. And um, Andy, would you agree? <laughs> I definitely would. <laughs> I've also got a question. I'd, um Obviously, when you, you, you came over, um, Steve, you were about 19 years old, coming from Northern Ireland. With right. the, I mean, maybe not so much in Ballymena, but certainly in other parts of the of the country, you know, a lot of difficulties at the time. Yes. And I, I wonder what that was like and how you settled in and whether there was anybody at Brighton that helped you to to settle in and uh, find your way in the country. Well, every, everybody was very good at the club, uh, but particularly Sammy Nelson, who was a Northern Irish fella. He was the coach at the time. And I remember Sammy picking me up and giving me a lot of good advice. And he did. And he looked after me. I think Sammy's probably still living in Brighton. Um, no, he was very, very helpful and kept me, told me what to do and what not to do, really. Um, but everybody at the club was, I mean, every, I, I mean, I didn't find it. I just wanted to get away to get a, an opportunity to play an English league football. I mean, it, it didn't, uh, it was a great opportunity for me just because... Over here, I suppose it's not just as affluent areas in the southeast of England. So, the, uh, kind of, I suppose jobs and uh, stuff like that there, uh, you're kind of limited over here. But um, um, 
as I say, everybody, I mean, even the man, obviously Chris Catlin, who was very, very good to me as well. And I remember Ron Greenwood having a chat with me. He was a director at the time. It was very, very nice of him. Everybody made me feel, and they, and they put me into a lovely digs in, uh, in Shoreham, um, who was the daughter of, uh, uh, oh, let me just get his name now. Uh, he was a big Brighton. He played for Brighton for a lot of years. He died there recently. I just... Oh, um, not Michael Robinson, I'm trying to think. No, no. This is going back. No, no, this is going back. Anyway, we'll come back to it. I'll think of the name in a minute. Uh, mm. So I just mean, I know him as well as uh, as anything. It's just uh, my mind's gone blank. But anyway, no, they, they looked after me very well when I went over. So no, I had no problems moving. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. That's good. Was and it John it... something, the guy? Was it John Shepherd? Shepherd. John Shepherd. Shepherd. Yeah. I, I know him as Shep. Yeah, and you always yeah. knew him as Shep. Because he was, <laughs> um, he was quite involved with the, the youth setup, wasn't he? Because I... Um, Shep. Yeah, that's right. He was, but he for, was... for, one, for one reason or another, I actually played um, a few games in the youth team in the 82-83 season at the end okay. of the season. So I knew John a little bit, and Mickey Fogden was the other one I knew a bit. But yeah, yeah John Shepherd had a long history with well, the club. Yeah, he was a lovely guy and his daughter uh, uh, Julie who um, who I stayed with were fantastic and her husband Chris at the time. Yeah, yeah, really looked after me. Made me feel welcome and and that's why I bet it in so early. I mean, because I kind of played in the team from the very first week to come over. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, that happened so quickly but uh John was always a nice man, and I think he had a lot to do with Southwick as well. Um, yeah, that was that, so. That was my connection. I was playing for the under 16s at the time, oh, and um, they yeah. needed a couple of. They needed a couple of. I mean, it, it sounds shocking now when you think about the way the academies are run, but they needed a couple of players that could come in and play every week, yes. who, who wouldn't let the side down, but clearly were not going to be professionals. Uh, and that was me, basically. So uh, yeah, it was interesting. What uh, position yeah. did you play, Andy? Sorry. Which position did you play? I was a right back. Right back. Yeah, so I was kind of like trying to run a few wingers out the game. Yeah. yeah, you guys were, were kicking us, yeah. <laughs> if right. I could catch you, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was going to ask you about that in the digs. I mean, it, these days, they, they all the young lads, a lot of them seem to be put up in hotels. But to me, in some ways, what happened to you was probably more sensible because it gave you a little bit of a a bit of security and a bit of guidance and, and just someone just to help you keep an eye on you while... You know, in those early days while you're settling in. That was great. Yeah, I mean, I think if you... I mean, I'm, like, the game's different now. The guys are on lots and lots of money. And, I mean, they can stay in hotels and fancy places. But, I mean, I was just glad to have the company in the evening. I mean, I had my room in the digs. And I was able to come down and join in with the family. Um, and it was perfect for the first six or nine months uh, until I got a little flat. Um yeah, that was perfect. It was a good start, and it, it, it made me focus. Just, I mean, it, it made me focus on the football, which was the main thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Um, one thing actually, I think I picked up as well when I was reading was um, just before you came to Brighton, or in fact, some time before, you'd had the chance to be an apprentice at Forest. I was reading. Is that right? But you turned it down, wanted to carry on with the uh, college first. Was that right? Yeah, that's right. I went. I used to go over every. Um, Christmas, Easter, uh, Halloween holidays, they would fly me over, myself and another yeah. and another young fella. Funny, I just I just checked on him there recently to see what he was doing. He he actually signed for them, and after about 
three months or something. He got an awful injury and that just ruined his whole career. He played some football back in Ireland. But I always remember my father saying, look, there's lots of apprentices. Like, there may be only one or two of them will turn professional. You'd be better to concentrate on your studies. And if you're good enough, you'll eventually go over to England. But at the time, I didn't, I didn't really see it like that at the time. I, you know, I was mad keen. Because Forrest at that time were European champions. Mm. Um, they were, I mean, Brian Clough, I, one of the times I was over, they, I think they played Ajax in the semi-final of a European Cup. So that was when they were really at the top. You know, they were really a top club then. But uh, but it all worked out. It all worked. I mean, I, I possibly could have went to Nottingham Forest and not been, maybe not played as well and didn't get the breaks or whatever. So, you know, yeah. I just accept, mm-hmm. I accept things. The way things worked out, they worked out. I mean, I'm happy enough with everything. A lot, as I say, my disappointments were my injuries, but overall in life, I've been fairly fortunate. So uh, I've no, I've no real disappointments. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, this, this is something, Peter, you probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't get this happening nowadays, but um, I was reading um, the article on the club's website from last year. I think they did an interview with you, didn't they, Steve? And um, um, it was, it was describing how it was a bit of a whirlwind when you came to the Albion, um, again, I was saying, Peter here, you, you, you don't read about these kind of stories now, but essentially from what you were saying, I think you came over, played a couple of reserve games, presumably as, as trials on the, was it the Tuesday and Thursday? Right, and yeah. then the Friday you signed and played on the Saturday or something like that. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Way to Barnsley. It's amazing. I mean, I come over and I train, I train very well. And Sammy Nelson put me straight in with the first team players and I did well, so I played two. I said I played Tuesday night, Thursday night. I definitely remember one of the games was away at Swindon. I can't remember who the other game was. Uh, signed on the Friday morning, um, and then made my debut away to Barnsley on the Saturday. Yeah, they beat three one, yeah. right enough. But you guys, yeah. you guys remember a lot more about these things than I do, to be honest. <laughs> you remember all the scores and the. Dates and everything—it's amazing. Some of us do. I'm, I've actually got a terrible narrative memory for details. I mean, um, I think Peter remembers a lot of stuff, don't you? You're, you're pretty good with that kind of thing. I think I'm much better at away games as well. Home ones can often like merge into each other, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. if you play a yeah. team enough. But I think away games are more stand out more because obviously they're they're not all yeah. on the same ground and the same. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've just got a general a general picture in my head of sort of certain snatches of memory and moments and. And you're, you, you, in fact, your image, Steve, is one of, it's quite an iconic nature. Um, and it's, it's going to put, put that to Andy in a moment as well, because when I was uh, talking to you, Andy, about coming on, you just said, oh, one um, mullets and jinking wing play come to mind. Yeah. And that's kind of the image <laughs> I had in my head as well. <laughs> you know, I do, um, I do remember that. Andy, yeah. 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 I do remember that about you, Steve. I mean, I, I was, I was actually trying to work out in my head. Why was it that um, I didn't have a lot more memories of you? And then, and then when I like I looked at the dates, I realised because in in '83 I, d- I didn't fall out of love so much with the Albion, but I did fall in love with wanting to play football more on a Saturday in adult football. So Saturdays I was I was often on the, the football fields of Sussex yes. playing football. But um, yeah, you know, yeah. but that those are my memories of you. Yeah, your mullet and like jinking side to side with the ball. You know, and the other thing I think it might have been in the same article that um, that um, uh, Russ is talking about as well. The other thing that I thought was really refreshing and something you definitely wouldn't hear these days is your comment about that um, I just wanted to play football. I didn't even care about the money. No. <laughs> I mean, these days it's like, well, they don't have to care about the money anymore because it's just so much of it. That, um, yeah, well, 
they can't count it. Yeah, but that's true. But then, I mean, I was, you know, when I was coming over, I was very naive. And I, I always said to my friends over here, if I had a son who was a very good footballer, he would make 10 times the money I would make. But just, you know, because, I mean, you have agents and everything nowadays. Um, but I just wanted, I, I mean, I just wanted to go out and play every Saturday. I just wanted to be in the team. Um, and it was, it was only coming near the end of the career when I started getting the injuries. Then you start to think, well, yeah, money's kind of important. You know, mm. if you have to to give up but as I say from that point even from money point of view the best thing that ever happened to me was giving up because I have a good business the wife's about to sell the business so financially I've actually done a lot better than if I played a lot more football but it still doesn't take away from the years and and uh, the possibilities I could have had with the football but mm. uh, as I say I don't have any regrets but uh, I mean some guys I, I played with an awful lot of good footballers who you know some of them are struggling really, really badly financially now. So I don't have any, as I say, I, I have no regrets. No. Who would you say yeah. is the, the best player you ever played with then kind of, um, and against as well, maybe? Yeah, the best player I've ever played with. Um, hmm. In a Brighton team or in... Gen- generally or, yeah, or Brighton either. I think he's going to... Yeah, well, both. <laughs> I mean, I used to love playing with Frank Worthington, but when I played with Frank mm. Worthington, he didn't have a lot of pace, but you could see, I appreciated his touch and ability. Now he didn't play long; he didn't play a long time for Brighton, but he, he was kind of a hero of mine growing up. Some of the things he'd done, and, and I could still see some of the fantastic touches and the, he had a fantastic left foot. Um, but I think he maybe only played for Brighton for about a year and a half or so. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good midfield. I played with a lot of good midfield players. I played with Jimmy Case, Alan Kirbishley, Danny Wilson. I mean, they were all great passers of the ball, which I wanted out when I stood in the wing. All I wanted was those guys to pass the ball out, and they were all very, very good. They were all very good passers. Uh, get the ball out to you quick and get it out early. Um, give you a bit of time then to kind of, you know, try some of your my tricks and my skills, as you were saying earlier. But... Um, I suppose maybe in an international, I suppose I played with Pat Jennings, who was a great goalkeeper. I'm trying to think of some in the international team, probably um, probably Sammy McElroy was a good footballer. Um, yep, yeah, I would say mm. offhand, it's very hard to remember, but uh, those guys would mainly be the main guys, yeah. Some pretty big names there anyway, that was a... a... Yeah. I have to say that that... that... Um, the Chris Catlin team. I mean, he was he wasn't around that long, but that's one of my favourite Brighton sides. Whenever yeah. I got to see that side, I mean, I was a particular fan of of Danny Wilson and the way that he used to really control that yeah. the midfield. Yeah. I mean, he was probably I've put him yeah I, I'd probably put him up in almost the same as Brian Horton in terms of the way that he sort of like you know he kind of managed the team on the pitch. Yeah, well, I believe Brian Horton was a good player and I've seen little clips yeah. of, but I mean, I didn't play with him. Or against them, but no, Danny was a good. Uh, and actually, as I say, I spoke to. Um, uh, he actually played for Northern Ireland, and the reason yeah. he did because Billy Bingham asked me one day, how, you know, was Danny Wilson as good as the reports he was hearing? I said, "Yep, Danny's a great player if you can get him." So I, I think I'm responsible for him getting about 25 caps, but he's never given me any money for that. There, right enough. But, uh, <laughs> no, but I, mean, I remember Billy Bingham pulling me in and saying, like, this guy, Danny Wilson, I think he he was able to play because of his mother or his grandmother or something. Um, 
And uh, I said, yeah, if you can get him, he's he's a good player. And he did. He played he played a lot of games for Northern Ireland as well. Yeah. I mean, on the on the Northern Ireland front, one of the other things I was struck about with what you talked about, bearing in mind those times that we all lived through, um, was how the the you know the Northern Ireland team was was made of players from from you know both both sides of the divide, so to speak. But as a team or as a squad, you seem to get on really well. Yep, as I said, well, I was in the squad probably for about three or four or five years altogether, um, and as I say, half the guys came from East Belfast, which would be kind of Protestant UVF and half the guys came from West Belfast which would be Republican uh, IRA area and there was never ever anything I ever came across in uh, in the squads and all the guys got on really really well but then they'd all gone they'd, they'd all had the opportunity to get out of Northern Ireland get out of the city and be and get involved with guys in England and I think I think probably if everybody had been had that opportunity we wouldn't have had the problems we had to be honest I think it's it's good that everybody did get on. I think that's the way it should be, isn't it? Really, with football, you put any any problems or issues, you leave on the doorstep, step in, into the. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not just saying that. I mean, I never ever did I come across anything. I mean, uh, it was. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't. And I think that's probably why Northern Ireland did so well because they were very tight knit. Hmm. I was going to say. I mean, you made was it two World Cups, eighty two, seventy eight, two and eight, yeah. Well, I joined, I, I kind of, 83 when I joined Brighton, that was the squad. I went into the 82, the guys that had been to 82 and done really well in Spain. Then those were the same guys I played with that got us to 86. So I was playing with all those guys and they were a, a great, great bunch of guys. And we still, every now and again, there's the odd dinner over here we go to and it's nice to see them all. But um, yeah. <laughs> every, every time you go there, there's one less. You know, I think I'm one of the youngest <laughs> ones. I think. <laughs> So, I was yeah, going to say, it must have been an incredible experience to be at the World Cup as well, to go to a World Cup and to play playing the games. And that's they must have been, you know, amazing. Like the kind of the peak of any footballer's career, really, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was brilliant. I mean, and the thing about it was, you know, you, when you play for England or something, there's an awful lot expected from you. But when you play for Northern Ireland, just getting to the World Cup finals is a fantastic achievement. So you're not under the same type of pressure. Um, Although, having said that, we were disappointed we didn't get to the next phase because uh, I think we drew we drew the first match 1-1 against Algeria. Spain beat us 2-1. And then, we, and then I was injured and I, played, we, I didn't get playing against Brazil. They beat us 3-0. But if we had won that first game, we would actually have got through this, uh, the qualifying stages and played Mexico at home, which would have been a great experience. But, um, but as I say, for, for a small country like Northern Ireland, just... Just getting to World Cup finals is a great achievement. Yeah, you'd, you'd made your debut, hadn't you, in October '84? So you'd, you'd settled into the squad, become a regular, I think, well ahead of the of the World Cup. And uh, it's a shame because I think in the in the report I was reading, you hadn't you did you miss the Brazil game altogether due to the injury in the yeah. Spain game? Is that right? right. Yeah, I missed it. Missed that the that must have been a gutter. Disappointing. Yeah, really disappointing. Yeah. yeah. I think I played 17 games in a row for, so it was kind of a regular, and then the injuries, and then the injuries kicked in, and that was kind of the end of it. But, mm-hmm. uh, but that was particularly, I mean, if you could have played any particular game ever in your life, you would probably want to play. But I couldn't play; my ankle was swollen up, and uh, you know, so it wasn't possible. Yeah, that's a shame. Maybe you would have beat Brazil with you in the team there. Uh, <laughs> 
I think so. Five <laughs> nil. Four nil instead of three nil. Possible. <laughs> surely not. Surely not. But um, no, I mean that's because uh, I was born in '71, so my my era in terms of the album is very much uh, watching watching you and your teammates playing. So I was sort of what, 12 when you when you made that, your debut, yeah, and and obviously by, by proxy, obviously Zico was was one of the sort of the. Yeah. The heroes of mine growing up as well in the international mm-hmm. stage and of course he was in the Brazil team then wasn't he, he in that World Cup he came on as sub against us he didn't start that game but he came on as a substitute yeah he was the top man at the time yeah Seiko yeah yeah, yeah but um, happy days there at least you, you had a it's great to be able to say you were at a World Cup and playing yeah. games it's uh, superb isn't it and yeah, I think it was that I have to tell you, I have to tell you a funny story about that. There it was that I was at the golf club one day and I was standing at the bar and one of the guys, one of the younger guys, came in and he says, "Stevie, I'm playing in a local cup final um, at the weekend." Um, this was something like say Southwick against somebody else. You know that's kind of standard. And he says to me, "You never ever played. You never ever played in any finals, did you?" And I says, "No." I said, "No, I never did." I said, "The only one I played in was the World Cup finals." <laughs> and if, and there's a guy stand, there's a guy beside there's a guy who was working in the bar and he knew me and I, I just it was very very funny it was very funny I mean I'm not usually that quick but uh, on that occasion it just it just came out he says no the only one I've ever played is a World Cup final so I kind of put him in his place anyway <laughs> <laughs> we, we mentioned Chris Catlin earlier and obviously he was, he was your first manager wasn't he um, he was, yes. and um, so how, how was he? Because I mean, again, this was my era. I loved, I loved Catlin. I was gutted and angry when he was sacked. I thought he should have had a longer run with us. Um, but that team, as Andy said earlier, was a, was a great team to watch. I really enjoyed it. Um, how, how was he as a manager, though? And what was what was it like with with that team? What, what were they like a, as a group? I mean, and I, I mean, I didn't see Chris playing, but apparently he was a left back and he was a hundred. I mean, he would have kicked you into the middle of next week. You, you always wanted to be on his team in a five-a-side because if he was playing against you, he would have just... I mean, he was a 100 percenter. He would have just kicked you into the middle of next week. Whether you're whether you're, he's wanting you in your team tomorrow or not, Chris was just 100% committed. You know, he was... Uh, and he was good. I mean, he was good for me. Um, I suppose any manager that keeps picking you is a good manager. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, that's all you want. But, uh, I mean... He, he, and he... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say he 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 said something too early, didn't he? Um, about um, always having to be on it, um, yeah. stepping up from from what you've done beforehand in yeah. Ireland, yeah, Northern Ireland one, too. Yeah, that was one of the best bits of advice he ever gave me. But I mean, I was playing, I was playing okay every Saturday, but obviously because I was an amateur and I come from amateur football, he, he brought me in one day and he said, "Look," he says, "Look, son, I was only nineteen at the time." He says, "You know, like." professional football you can't turn it off and on like a tap you've got to train every day the way you want to play on the Saturday he says it's going okay for you at the minute but if you don't if you don't sharpen up and train and commit 100% so that was a very good lesson and that and that's just just being professional and you very quickly learn that there because I mean some of some of the hardest sessions and uh, I mean I'm sure some of the other guys will tell you some of the hardest sessions are actually training sessions during the week all the guys are very committed and they're all trying to impress the manager and uh, some of those are more they're, they're actually more brutal and more physical than than a lot of the matches are to be honest so I mean that's what he was more or less saying look you have to go out every single day be professional give it 100% and 
and then it's easier. But every Saturday that comes around, you're more likely to be in that kind of phase in that zone. So yeah, yeah. And on the pitch, I mean, we've, we've just mentioned the whole thing of the mullets and jinking wing play. Um, that's definitely my image, and obviously it's Andy's because that's what he said. Um, but how did you see yourself as a player? How would you describe your style? Obviously, you're a winger, um, yeah. but. but would, how would you describe yourself in detail? Is there a way you would word well, it? Well, I mean, I thought my... Well, my main, I suppose, attributes were I could control a ball. It didn't matter. I always felt that no matter how a ball was hit to me, I could control it instantly, yeah. which gave me... I mean, over 60, 70 yards, I wasn't quick. Over 10, 20 yards, I was very quick. And, and so the fact that I could control a ball very comfortably and very easy, always giving me time to get my head up to see what was going on because, I mean, believe it or not, control, I mean, not everybody can control it, but I've even seen guys playing nowadays for big teams can't control the ball really, really well. But anyway, um, but I mean, I, I played with a lot of players who were a lot quicker than me, over 50, 60, 70 yards if you were having a sprint, but over 10, 15 yards, I suppose that was my... Uh, uh, forte as such I was able to kind of control the ball and I was I was sharp for 10-20 yards and that was enough to get past the, hopefully get past the uh, full back and then put in crosses um, and I, I used to love putting in crosses I used to hate slicing them and putting them in the bakery you know the, Chris Catlin used to come in and say Stephen stop hitting those crosses into the bakery you know the bakery, <laughs> apparently there was a bakery behind the, the south stand at one time and I says, well, you know, I yeah. took a bobble, I hit a bobble on the pitch. It was always a very wet pitch down at the bottom of the goldstone, down at that end. And uh, every now and again, the turf would come up. It's not like the pitches nowadays. I would hit a bobble and it would end up get over the crossbar. And he kept saying to me, try not to keep hitting into that bakery. He says, we're not going to score many goals from there. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's was, it was, um, an interesting time. Um, the Goldstone, I mean, what, what did you make of it? What was it like? Because I've, I've never been inside the oh, stands yeah, in terms of the, um, you know, behind the scenes. I'm, I'm trying to picture what it was like. It was very, Can you well, tell us about very, it? Yeah, very old-fashioned. Like, it was an old ground. And it used to slope. The, the, the pitch itself used to slope quite a bit from the north stand down to the, down to the, the south stand. Um, hmm. And I mean, I see the pitches nowadays and they look fantastic, but in those days, some of the pitches were very, very, they're very heavy and it was quite, you know, it was uh, quite tiring, you know, when, when the pitches got wet, you know, so, but yeah. it was a good atmosphere, it was always a good atmosphere, it was nice playing there, but I mean, I've been over to the Amax a couple of times and I must say, I think I would rather be playing at the Amax every week on that pitch, but uh, I know that, I know a lot of the Brighton fans have a soft spot for the Goldstone, but I mean, the the facilities are far superior now, obviously, in the in the Amex. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of the dressing rooms, I'm imagining um, nothing like the Amex. <laughs> Something a lot. Is it was it quite small, claustrophobic spaces, or was there actually quite a bit of room behind there? It was uh, the uh, the home changing room was slightly bigger than the away one, and then you had a little area where we used to play a little kind of game before we went out of uh, head tennis and that, you know, like getting your touch and everything. There was a little, and then there was the physio room where I spent a lot of my time. So that's vaguely what I can remember along the playing area. And then there was a little players, uh, players bar at the bottom end and then the offices up at the top end. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a very, very 
big uh, uh, big complex at all compared to, as I say, the Amex looks phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, a, it's I mean, the the time I come over, the pitch just looked like a like, like a snooker table, and it was the first time I wanted. It's the first time I really thought I'd like to be playing football again after because had so many injuries. I was just glad to pack it in, get rid of it, forget about it. I play my golf, enjoy my golf, and I never I never looked back until the day I went back to the Amex. I think Brighton were playing Watford in the final game of the season. Uh, Watford won and got promoted. Um, Brighton just stayed up, and that was in the that was in the championship. But that was the first day I really wished I could, you know, I really did wish I was able, I was fit and able to go out and play again because the pitch was yeah. so good. Yeah, and the stadium was fantastic. Yeah. Andy, yeah. Yeah, Steve, but just going back to the, the managers, I've obviously spoken about Catlin, but um, I think you've mentioned somewhere that when you were with Barry Lloyd, you didn't always quite no. get on so well. I wondered if, um, if, if um, you were able to expand on that or would you be done for libel? I don't know. No, no, no. I mean, I, oh, I don't think so. No, I'm sure Barry wouldn't. It's, I played no problems with Chris. Had the odd argument with Chris. I mean, that's normal. That's normal. And I, I played for Alan Murray. I liked playing for Alan Murray. And I actually liked playing for Barry Lloyd because when I did play for Barry Lloyd, I played well. But I didn't put any pressure on you. just let you go out and play football. So that, that side of it, I liked playing for Barry. But it, it was just, it, it was one occasion... Um, so I think I think I mentioned this in some other radio, so I'm not a radio um, conversation. But I was, we were playing at home. I can't remember who we were playing, and uh, I didn't have I didn't have my best game, and Barry brought me off. But I was going for um, to an international match the following day, so I arrived over in Belfast, and Billy Bingham pulled me in and had a meeting with me, and he says, Stephen. How do you get on with your manager? And at this time, I said, "Well, did I get on? There's no problem." Um, and uh, I said, "No, I didn't play." I said, "I didn't play particularly well." But I mean, that happens. I didn't play particularly well on Saturday, and I said, "The manager, manager brought me off." Well, he said, and his exact words were to me, and I had a lot of respect for Billy Bingham because I mean, uh, he was a good manager, and he said to me, "If I was you, I would think about leaving." You know, I would think I, he hasn't got your best interest at heart. And I said, well, why is that there? And he said, well, he rang me up on Saturday night and he said I didn't, that I hadn't tried an inch, basically. And that he wouldn't play me, if it was up, if it was him, he wouldn't play me in the international match. So I, I found that surprising because I, I realised I didn't play well. But I mean, everybody at times doesn't play well, but it wasn't because of lack of effort. Um, and... Uh, so apparently Billy Bingham just said, look, I'd be playing Stephen. I'd be playing Stephen, no matter what you say to me. So that that's what turned the whole thing sour. So I was going back to the club. And in those days, I, I mean, I probably should have went in and just sorted it out with them. But, uh, but so that's, that, that, was where, that was where I kind of found it hard then with Barry. But I mean, I, I liked him as a person. It's not a problem. I didn't have any grudges. And when I played, I came back. I, um, I got back from injury and I think I played the last 11 or 12 games of the promotion season, scored three or four goals and, and helped them. Uh, so um, it was just that, it was just that situation. And uh, That's quite, I, a, quite a strange thing to do really, because it's like, it's not as if he's phoning up the Northern Ireland manager, Billy Bingham and Billy Bingham doesn't know you. I mean, knew, he knew you as a player and as a person. 
Yeah. He's not going to take his direction from the Brighton manager, is he? Listen, the team, the team at the time was at home. Well, Barry was probably under a lot of pressure. And a lot of my injury time was, I mean, I, it was frustrating for him because he could never get me fit. Every time he thought I was coming back, you know, I was breaking down. And I suppose, like, I, I try to see both sides of it. But I, certainly it wasn't the right thing to do. And, and, and that was, to me, that was... He shouldn't. It'd been better pulling me in after the game or saying something when I come back to international, saying, "Look, you know, I, I just thought it was a bit underhand, and I wouldn't have, I, and yeah. I wouldn't have done that." So, but on the plus side, I like playing for Barry, and I, and as I say, I came back and I played, and we got promotion that year, and there was never anything really. You know, there was no nastiness or anything between us. It was just something I th- thought that didn't need to be done, and. Uh, Obviously, Billy Bing was looking out for my best interest. I didn't want to leave Brighton. But the next thing is, it's in your mind. That's when I started, you know, there was possibility to go to Palace and and uh, different things was happening. But that was the time I was injured. So, you know, like I had no real notion of leaving Brighton. It was only when, you know, you think the manager is ringing up the international managers. If he'd, if he'd, rang, the man- if he'd rang the international manager up and said, look, Stephen had a stinker, I would have I said to Billy, absolutely, it wasn't my best game. But to ring up and say you didn't try an inch, you know, like, I just didn't think that was hmm. right. Yeah. yeah no, it's, some, some, some people, you know, like I wasn't one of those guys that ran about and, and kicked people. You know, I don't think that's really, there's a lot of guys, I, well, I'm not mentioning any names, but lots of guys over the years where they would two, two foot tackle somebody around the throat and, and get sent off and the manager would say, that's great, that's what we want. But to me, someone that's trying this, when things are going badly, you're making angles, you're always, you know, you're not hiding. So it's just a different outlook on the game, I suppose. Um, you know, you don't have to be, what I'm saying is you don't have to run about kicking people and, and, and to prove that you're really trying, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. That's the story. that I have no grudges against Barry Lloyd. If I met him tomorrow, I would have, you know, it's... It's. Um, it he, and when you got back after the international duty, did he ever actually talk to you about it? Did no. He say, oh, I, you know, I phoned your manager up. Did he tell you? No, he never. No, he never. No. And probably, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have. I should have went into his office and kind of sorted. No, he never said anything to me. But you know, there was always that feeling that uh, you know maybe my time, <laughs> you know maybe my time was. Uh, kind of limit it there and that's when you start to think to yourself well you have to kind of start looking about going somewhere else but uh hmm. but then uh, but as I say it must have been it must have been frustrating for Barry because he was I know he was wanting to play me and I, I, was, I was injured so much I was frustrated and he was frustrated and I think the whole club was frustrated so um you know it's understandable there's two so he's under pressure he's the manager I mean if you're looking at the bigger picture uh, I mean, as I say, we have a business now, and if people don't turn up for one reason or another, it's not. It doesn't help the whole team, you know. So you can understand both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, indeed. Um, we were talking earlier about um, how the pitches have changed, the injury treatments, all that sort of stuff. And Andy said it's refreshing that you know you weren't worried about money; you just wanted to play football. Another thing that maybe I don't know if this is true to say, but seemed refreshing to hear was um, that the fact that you did see from the article in the uh, in the, the Albion online uh, a year ago that to be very happy with the club that you didn't want to go all the way through your career with us you seemed ultimately uh, pretty happy to stay like the area as you mentioned yourself earlier 
Um, despite interest from clubs higher up the food chain at the time, I think um, Graham Taylor was mentioned at Watford, 200,000 offer. Was it? You mentioned Palace. And I think, was it Ipswich as well? Ipswich, yeah. For interest. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that's great to hear, because obviously from Albion's supporting point of view, you want to hear the players are loyal to the club, they want to stay and everything. But um, it was, what, what particularly drove you to want to stay? Was it the, a mixture of the area and the teammates? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, I think it was, I mean, as I say, I went straight into the team. And it was, I mean, hmm. Brighton was a lovely place to be living down. I mean, a lot of guys ended up coming down to finishing their career down at Brighton because it was a lovely, it was a lovely place, a lovely part of the country to live to start with. Um, plus, I mean, I was, I, I was playing every week um, and you just think it's going to last forever. Knowing what, you know, if, 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 if you knew um, then what, you, what I knew not, if I knew, sorry, let me get this right. If I knew then what I know now, obviously every big club that come in, what you would, your agent would be in saying, "Look, Stephen's going to go here, there. You need to put his wages up." But I, I wasn't interested. I was just happy playing, getting the win bonus, being part of playing for Brighton. I mean, I was only nineteen, twenty years old, so uh, you just think it's going to last forever. You just think it's going to last for the next fifteen or sixteen years. Unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, indeed, it's such a shame, isn't it? But uh, it, as you said, with injuries as well, it, it just comes when it comes, doesn't it? That sort of yeah. thing. But uh, not much we can do about it. Well, let's take our first break there, Steve, and give ourselves a breather, and then we'll uh, we'll come back in part two. We'll probably talk a bit more about the latter half of your Albion career. I'm particularly interested to find out a bit more about that promotion you mentioned, which is 87-88, isn't it, by the way? Um, so maybe a bit more about that and some other things besides. So we'll be back in just a moment. Okay. I just leave that on because I'm not sure how to turn it off. Is that okay? Yeah, no yeah. worries. No worries. This podcast is now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the UK's first dedicated sport network of its type. Find the next show you'll love or join the team at www.sport-social.co.uk. So we're back, part two, with Peter, Andy, me, Russell, and with Steve Penny. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us, Steve. We're really enjoying it. And... um, in the first part, we were talking about the early part of your life, your career, and signing for Brighton, and um, and your international um, career as well. Um, just taking the Brighton career aspect a bit further through, then um, you were talking a little bit about the eighty seven eighty eight season, which was uh, of course our promotion season back from the third tier to the second tier. Can't even remember what it was called back then. Probably Division Two, wasn't it? I think uh, I've lost track. <laughs> um, but the second tier, anyway, back to the second tier. A really good team. I think we had the likes of Kerbishley in the side at the time, Danny Wilson, I think. Um, and what, what what did you make of that season? Um, for me, I obviously loved it. Uh, we got promoted. I think I went to a lot of my first away games then as a seventeen-year-old with mates, and um, I remember we had. Uh, the likes of Brentford away and some great away trips in and around that time. Um, what were your best memories of the season? Are there any particular moments well, that stood out for you? Well, I mean, obviously it was very frustrating being injured for most of the year, but as I said, I managed mm. to get the knee sort of out, got back, and I think I played the last, uh, I 
I think it was maybe 10, 11 games. Uh, yeah. I, think I played away at Brentford. We drew one each away. I think I scored in that one, if you check up. I can't. I, I think definitely we drew 1-1 one, one away to Brentford. Um, yeah, the league game, yeah. Yeah, was that right. I mean, Wilson and Kevin Bremner were uh, um, two really good players in that team that I can remember. Um, uh, and I just remember, yeah. say we, I think I think we won, did we win eight of the last nine and draw one or something like that there? So it was just it was good. We came we came quite a late run, um, but. As I say, with all as I say, with all the ups and downs with Barry Lloyd, I still felt I came back and made the difference, you know, with the team because the team really, really took off at that point, and we and we did go on that good run. Now, obviously, I helped a bit, but it wasn't solely because of me. But I, you know, I, I felt that um, even through all the frustration and everything that went on, I was still capable of coming back and adding something to the team, which helped the promotion. I think we ended up we beat Bristol Rovers. I think it was two one on the final day, wasn't it? I think two one two now. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to the Goldson. Yeah, yeah the second place. Yeah. So, I mean, that was great. It was a great feeling. It was a great night. Uh, and I think we went a nice wee trip away to Mallorca or something shortly after, because uh, I remember having to leave that trip early to come back to play an international match. So, um, no, that was good times. Yeah, it wasn't always bad times. You know, that was that was one of the really good. The good, the good uh, times that I can remember. Yeah, yeah. What were the celebrations like in in the changing rooms and oh, that fun. night? Yeah, great. And then, <laughs> and then we had. A, I think did we go to? I can't remember where we went that evening. with lovely food, and it was a great evening, and uh, quite a bit of drink. I didn't drink that much, but we had a few drinks. Uh, and as I say, then body away. I think it was uh, Menorca or Mallorca for a week. As I say. But uh, I had to come home halfway through to go to play. I think it was Malta. We had to play a World Cup match. Um, so, um, yeah, that was that was good. Uh, and then I think more or less, I think the next season, uh, I call the seasons on another one. I can't, I can't, I, I don't know if that was the time I left Brighton or not after that there. I think I went, then I went up to Hearts. Um, yeah, it was about 91, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, 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 that's right. Went up to Hearts and uh, hmm. came back down to Burnley. And so, um, no, I mean, I was disappointed. I didn't want to leave, but, you know, it was just one of those things that I think, you know, I don't know where the manager thought there was an impasse and we couldn't agree or we couldn't get on or whatever, but yeah, I think it was better. I would have preferred to have stayed, put it that way, but, uh, you know, that's just, that's history. yeah. Yeah, but it was a good stint. Eight, eight years is, is excellent. Um, yeah, I was it. going to ask um, Peter actually something in a minute, but just first of all, um, with um, the promotion season, I'm just thinking that I was a North Stand about then, and I remember there was a game, I think unusually, I think it was on a Friday night at home to Northampton. And I was in the North Stand, and I think I've got the day right, and um, there was a game where they had the fans in the corner, in the northeast corner, and um, we were giving it the big one to them, and there's lots of banter going backwards and forwards. I think they were pushing, weren't they, for promotion as well, if I remember rightly. And um, there was, in my mind's eye, I don't know if I imagined this, and I don't know if you were at the game or whether you were playing that night, I'm not sure. But we remember looking over to the side, and I'm pretty sure I saw a giant inflatable 
pair of lips that appeared in the away end <laughs> when they were doing this, oh yeah, giving it the mouth thing to us. Yeah. We were all laughing our heads off. Am I imagining that? Do you remember? <laughs> what I remember, no, what, all I can remember was, um, you remember the expression, we've got loads of money? Because all the Brighton, Brighton obviously came, oh, yeah. obviously all the fans came from an affluent area and every every time we went up north to play at Hull or Grimsby or some of these places, the fans used to give it all, oh, we've got loads of money. And I thought that was quite, it was quite witty. But uh, no, I can't remember that. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, I never went to the football match when I was injured. I just couldn't. You know, I just stayed at home. I couldn't, I didn't want to go and see because I was, you know, it was bad enough in, you know, the treatment room all day long and then having to sit and watch a match where you, you know, where you wanted to be. I just, I don't think I ever, I really, when I was injured, I never went to watch a game at all. I just preferred to stay completely away from it because it was so destroying, to be honest, you know. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's fair enough, isn't it? And, um, yeah, the question for Peter was going to be, I think you mentioned when we were talking that you, um, your first season was possibly 1991, so Steve's yeah. last season with yeah. the club. So do you remember did, did, Do you remember any of the games that Steve played that year? Uh, not. I know you would have been young, obviously, a, as well. To be honest, the main ones I remember like that year are the playoffs, obviously, and the Liverpool away game, which was amazing when we drew two all at Liverpool, having been two down in the hmm. cup. Um, I don't. The league games are a bit of a. Other than the fact we won one at Watford the first game, I don't remember much about it. Yeah, it was kind of like obviously I was quite young then. <laughs> You're too young to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember going to Anfield and us drawing two all and being very yeah. Liverpool was still obviously a very good team, but they weren't quite the dominant force they were in in the eighties. But they were still a pretty good team, and we yeah went there and drew two all from two down. Um, was the, which uh, was a pretty amazing day. That was the birth of um, Johnny Crumpley, the football genius. Yeah, yeah he marked yeah. arms out the game, didn't he? Pretty much, he kind of like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's the kind of that's the big season that I completely um, missed, apart from coming back in January because I've been travelling all year. All right. So all I was getting was um, like, well, you didn't have email back then, so every now and then I'd pick up a letter at a post restaurant, and and someone I was um, who knew me quite well was sending me out the um, the the football reports of the games and the newspaper cuttings. So yeah. I was sitting there on the steps reading those. So that's that's how I followed that season. I don't know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was it's not, different. It's a lot easier now with the oh, technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah so I mentioned the thing back, even like when I when I was watching the nineties, like the, the um, to look at teletext and that scores coming through on teletext, right. you have to look, wait for the next stream to load to get the latest score. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, but that promotion season, I think we got in the playoffs with a minus goal difference, didn't we? we did, yeah, we were, we were, we pretty yeah, much we got unique. stuffed a few times, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I said on on the show before. My first game was at Watford, and we won one nil. And I genuinely thought Brighton were going to win every game I went to, and then we lost the next game three nil at Oxford. And I was like, oh, that's uh, <laughs> come come back down to reality quite quickly. You guys had that. You guys had to suffer through all the years where Brighton were nearly out of the the league. I mean, it was horrendous. I mean, mm. I'm looking at it from afar. I mean, when they moved down to the Webdean Stadium and they were playing down there, and there was didn't seem to be any future, and nobody seemed to know what was going on. It was. To be in the position they're in now is absolutely fantastic. Really, mm. yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? And um, long may it continue. And we'll probably ask him in the final part where, um, a little bit about um, the current team and um, what you think about uh, football in general. But um, I've got a few questions actually from David Townsend, who's a friend of the show, friend of ours in general. Um, 
and um, he's been on this show in fact before in the past. But he's he's asked you three questions, Steve. First of all, do you still own the opticians in Northern Ireland? I'm presuming that's the business you yes. said you were on the verge of selling, is it? Yes. Uh, well, it's my wife who's the main director. She's the optician. She's uh, we've we've had it now for 25 years. Spectivers franchise, and she'll hopefully all being well selling up in the next three to six months. So uh, she's looking forward to retirement. I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to it because it might curtail my golf a bit. But um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been very fortunate. We've been a, it's been a very good business and very successful. And I think she's done. She's done enough now, and I think hopefully this COVID has kind of slowed the, the seal of it down a little bit, but I would say in the next three to six months, yeah, uh, hmm. she'll sell that out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Um, his second question is, um, what do you remember about that? We've touched on this off-air, didn't we, just before. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about this glorious 2-0 cup victory against the all-conquering Liverpool side in 1984? And a man of the match performance, as I recall, he says. Yeah, yeah, that was a, yeah one of the best days. I was only over about two months, and this is, it was a, one of the few live television, um, you know, live TV games on at the time. And I remember Graham soon has been. I think he had to go off injured after about thirty minutes, and I thought that's give us a chance because he was a fantastic player, and uh, we scored two quick goals. Jerry Ryan and Terry Connor scored within about. A few minutes of each other, and well, it was a great, fantastic performance. Great evening afterwards. The Liverpool players at the time, they were European champions. They all went out with us, um, and uh, you know they were really classy afterwards. They all went out to a club in Brighton. In those days, it's, it's a lot more professional now, obviously. But um, they were very, you know, e- even though they were European champions, and you know they'd just been beaten. There was no problem. They went out and had a good night with us. It was great, great experience for a young lad. I mean, I was only, as I say, I had only joined, and and, and now I'm mixing guys like like Graham Souness and and uh, oh, Alan Hansen and all the rest of them. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah see, it was great. As you said, it was on ITV, wasn't it? And uh, actually, BT Sport, as as I was mentioning off air, ran it the other day. So I was watching you just the other day in that game, and uh, it was it was a great match, two 0 win, of course. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it was the year after the uh, after the cup final run as well. So we just had a little purple patch, which was unusual for us in the cup. We haven't got a great record, all, all things considered, in the competition. But that that was a golden era, <laughs> as far as it goes. And, and the last time we beat it. Liverpool until recently as well, wasn't it? But wasn't that the one they kept quoting was like thirty-seven years ago until we uh, obviously did it this month, this month, earlier this month. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Great. yeah, fantastic performance. And I think they beat the they beat Liverpool. Did they not beat Liverpool in the cup run the previous season in the eighty three? Yeah. They beat them. All yeah, that's right. Two one yeah. Anfield fifth round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which is uh, even more amazing result probably at the time I would think, given the fact it was away from home. But uh, yeah, fantastic times. Um, David's third and final question is, where in Brighton did he get his mullet styled? He asks. <laughs> <laughs> your your mullet is taking over this podcast. You don't have it now, do you? And by the way, just no, clarify. I no, I still, have, I still have plenty of hair. I have plenty of hair, but I don't have the mullet. No, there was a girl, <laughs> when I played for Balamina, there was a girl. I think used to always do my hair over here, and uh, I think she did the perm for a while because Kevin Keegan and uh, and uh, Glenn Hoddle and that used to have. It was a Kevin Keegan and anyway, some other players used to have. So I had the perm first. 
and then I had the mullet when I went over to Brighton. But I can't remember where I got the haircut in Brighton, to be honest. I can't remember. Hmm. So, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And where did you, where did you, obviously you were in Diggs in Shoreham. Did you move on and live elsewhere in Brighton or, or in that general area? Whereabouts did you? I had a flat in Ainsley Court, which is not far away from um, old train station, which was nice wee flat for a year. And then I had a lovely house up in Tongdean, Tongdean Lane, just just up the lane from the Whitdean Stadium. Oh, yeah. I used to love it, just off Dyke Road Avenue. And I I loved that house. In fact, I wish the price of it now, I wish I had kept it. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) People keep telling me I should have kept it and rented it out or something, but no. I, I used to love living there and uh, I say I just used to go up the Dyke Road Avenue and uh, could see Sammy Nelson there and it was handy to the club and uh, it was a lovely, lovely, lovely area. But as I say, I could easily I could easily have stayed in Brighton and lived in Brighton. I really liked it. I liked the whole uh, Sussex Downs and everything. But um, as I say, just my main preference was to move back home, you know, yeah. You get a lot yeah. nicer. You get a lot of nice houses, a lot of a nicer house over here for a lot cheaper than you would in Brighton. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the prices are insane. I mean, London, where Peter, Andy, and oh, I are all living, yeah. is is crazy. Yeah. But Brighton, even is you know because it's it's commutable, That's it's right. desirable, etc. It, yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it's too much now. Yeah, uh, if only <laughs> I should have gone on the property ladder sooner as well. That's for sure. Uh, but. Okay, so that, yeah, so I mean that's the the, the Brighton era. So after, after Brighton, you um, you obviously were having some trouble with injuries, which I think was was precipitating problems. You were with Hearts for a season, Burnley for two seasons, is that right? And then and then had to wrap it up. Age was it thirty? Is that right? Uh, yes, twenty nine, thirty. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So how did that come about? Did you did you just have, was it a gradual process of realization, or was there a particular thing that happened that? Well, I left Brighton because I kind of fell out with Barry, uh, Barry Lloyd. Mm. And I thought I, I knew my knee was okay, so I thought I, I you know, I thought I, I'm, I'm, you know, I could still go and prove myself somewhere else, which I did. I went up to Heart. I went up to Hearts. With Joe Jordan was the manager, and uh, played well. He saw I was fit, and I never missed a day's training for a whole year. But, uh, I mean, Scottish football is just crazy. Scottish football, to be honest, in those days was just kick and rush compared to the kind of culture of football that you played uh, in England. You know, it was just it was just like crazy. So I moved back down to Burnley, uh, scored in my debut with Burnley. We beat Swansea 1-0 at home. I scored the winner, uh, scored another few goals, was going well. Everything was good. My knee was fine. And my Achilles went... And, and unfortunately, after two or three operations there, that was, I just had enough. I just, I just, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, because every time you come back for an operation, you think, well, this is, you, you put all the hard work in to get back, you go on the training pitch, you think everything's okay and it just breaks down again. It's kind of, it is soul destroying. And at that time, to be honest, the opportunity to take my wife to take out the Specsavers franchise had just come up in Ballymena in Northern Ireland. And I said, look, what little money I had for um, for retirement, which wasn't an awful lot, we can put that into the business. But as I said before, it's, it's the best thing that ever happened, to be honest. But I still would have loved to have been able to play another two or three or four years anyway. But then, it wouldn't, but then the business opportunity wouldn't have been there. So uh, it's kind of all worked out for the best. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andy? I was just going to say, going back to the injury, Steve, for a second, it's, I think that I think fans can kind of um, appreciate the kind of the physical side of it and that maybe you have to adjust your game or there's that kind of tentative bit about will you be good enough or not again. Yeah. But I think probably they don't really fully understand the psychological side of it. Yeah. You know, and how that hard that must be. And, and you know, like when you've had a bad injury and then you come back and then you get another bad injury, yeah. you know, it, it must really take its toll on you mentally. And, and I guess there comes a point where you just think, I don't, I don't actually know if I can go back and do all the work in the gym to get me back again, you know? It does, exactly. Yep. And every time it gets harder and harder. And mentally, you're lying at night thinking, is this really is this really happening to me? After playing every game for about three or four years and everything's going so good, playing international football, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're waking up in the middle of the night saying, is this a bad dream or is this, you know, and you just can't get, you just can't get the, the problem sorted out. It's just, and nowadays, it would have probably been, been fixed a lot easier. Uh, it probably would have been a couple of months out of my career and I could have continued. But... Uh, the Achilles problem really was um, there was a, a Mark Leather who was actually a physio for Brighton um, for two or three years when I was there. He was actually in the physio when I went up to Burnley. He had moved up to Burnley and uh, he worked with me and I'd had two operations, one on each ankle and one was successful and one wasn't and they wanted me to try to, to have a second go at one of the Achilles and to this, I said no, I'd had enough, I was given up. And to this day, I still couldn't run. I could run for half an hour, and then the next day I would really struggle to walk. So, whereas the mm. one of the Achilles that was repaired perfectly, it's never given me a trouble. The knee has never given me any trouble, but I've still a weakness in that other Achilles, which was the one that I had to give up with at Burnley. I mean, and that and that's the other side to it, isn't it? I think sometimes, obviously, when we're younger, we have these injuries, and we we just want to get back and play. You know, we just want to play, don't we? But um, actually, sometimes you, you, you know, and I, I don't know if this back then would have happened enough, but no one seems to have the conversations about, well, thinking about where you are in your 50s and you're going to end up in a wheelchair or with a walking stick, you know, because no. all players are a long time retired. And, you know, you, you see, read stories about some of them are in their in the 50s. And, you know, they, they've got no, they've hardly got any mobility at all. And, and in these days, you know, the stuff coming through now about dementia and heading the football, you know. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, I was just going to say. But, I mean, I don't know a kid nowadays, if you said you can earn 20, 30, 50, 100 grand a week and be a professional football, and then somewhere in the future you might have a problem with your head. I, I just can't, you know, to me, that wouldn't stop a football guy signing a contract with playing football. No. No, no. I, you know, I really wouldn't. I mean, it's no, different. No. I mean, the money is completely different now. I mean, you know, you should be able to set yourself up comfortably without having to do anything else now with the money that's about. And in the days when I played, even the very, very top players still had to probably go on and do something else, you know, with the money they'd made. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess in your day, like you're setting up your business, that was a necessity. And I mean, it was quite influenced, was it? Loads of. Yeah. footballers would go and get themselves a pub. And I think Jerry Ryan was one of them. Jerry was, yes. I... Lovely guy. Jerry, one of the top guys, yeah. I've been at this pub a couple of times, yeah. Yeah. But now you kind of now you kind of think that, you know, players when they retire now, they, they're, they're involved in football because it's a hobby, really. They, they don't need the money. It's because no, they just right. love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, 
the only consolation I had was in those nights where I was lying and I was wondering, was it a nightmare or not? My wife, Valerie, was an, was a, an optician who was had a professional, uh, you know, had a profession behind her. So I always thought, well, the family's going to be okay. Like, we're going to be okay financially. Now, that, that, I was just fortunate I was in that position. But uh, a lot of footballers in those days just weren't in that position. And a lot of guys who played a lot more games and did a lot more in the game, you know, really, really didn't make very much out of the game. And they do, like you say, they do have injuries. They do have mobility problems. Um, and once you're out of the game, you know, nobody else is going to really pay money. No one else is going to give you a living, you know, really. Yeah, and then you've got others, haven't you, that when they when they finish the game, they kind of like they've lost the buzz and so they're kind of making up for it through things that they've become addicted to, you know, yeah. like gambling and alcohol. Yes, well, I mean, you know? yeah, that's, a, and I can understand that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not kind of addicted to any of those, or I wouldn't be, but I can understand the buzz you get from scoring a winning goal in front of 20,000 people or 30,000 people. It's very, very hard to replicate in any other walk of life. And I can understand guys like, I mean, you mentioned guys like Paul Gascoigne, who played at a far higher level than me and was fantastic. I mean, for him to have to come down, it must be very difficult. If you're not, if you're not mentally very 100%, you know, it could be very There's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I couldn't, under, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine how you could replace that. You know, the thought of crowds of 30,000 plus cheering you when you score a goal. Yeah, no. Um, you know, yeah. no, nothing I ever experienced. It was more like 30 people, if I was lucky. But, you know, it's that kind of feeling, isn't it? And you just can't replace it. You, you can't, can't replace, replace it. it. You can't replace it. But the thing about it is, I think when you're young, you just think it's going to last. That that was the kind of, you know, I thought because it went well for three or four years, there was more or less, didn't have any injuries. I thought, this, just, this is going to keep going until I'm 35. This is fantastic. But... It just takes one injury or one bad tackle or something just to end everything. But I think players now are looked after a lot better from the PFA. Um, uh, you know, and they are. There's no doubt about it. They've probably better insurance policies and all now than when we used to play. And even the guys, even the guys that played 20 years before me, they used to say, you know, like, we earn so much money and we're so lucky. So I think every generation's getting better. You know, they're, they're getting looked after better, but. As regards to the heading the ball, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't know one professional footballer who wouldn't play, who would turn down the chance of being a professional footballer because in 30 years' time they might have dementia. Now, that may seem controversial, but I, I would say if you honestly ask most footballers, maybe a different story in rugby or something, but even that, I, I don't think, are you going to stop representing your country because you might get some head injuries? No, I mean, I, for me, I, I think the, the, the key message is coming out of that is what, so I help coach a, an under 10s team. Yes. So I think the key messages for that for us is about what we're doing maybe until the kids are 14, 15 around yeah. heading. I mean, you can't even like 10 year olds, you can't stop them heading the ball in the game. Yeah. But we don't, we don't do any, any kind of heading practice, any heading drills. Which, when I was a kid, we probably would have done. Yes, you would have done. But what my, my my argument is, and you're you're absolutely right because that's the medical. But are those guys going to be good at heading heading the ball when they get to twenty? Well, I mean that that might be a skill that we that we see that disappears a bit. Sorry, you know? that might well be a skill that we see is on the decline as yeah. we yeah. as we watch football play. It could well be. 
Could well be. Yeah. I'd like I'd like to say that my under tens play the ball on the ground and we don't need to edit, yeah. but I'd be lying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that. Yeah. As much as I love them. Oh <laughs> yeah. uh, dear. Well, I mean that that is a very emotive issue at the moment, actually, heading and uh, dementia and issues along those yeah. lines. Yeah. Um, other issues in the game. I, I don't know if you've got a, enough time to hang on for a third part, Steve. Well, we could just quickly ask you. A few bits and pieces about the, the modern game and your views on that as well. That's fine, no problem. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, we'll take a short interval now and we'll come back to that in just a minute. Okay, so we're back with our third and final part of this episode, a special episode with Steve Penny, our special guest. And really enjoying chatting to you, Steve. And the, the other bits we haven't talked about so far are about the modern game, apart from mentioning that Palace match that didn't happen on Monday night. Um, <laughs> apart from that, I um, wanted to get your thoughts on a few things to do with the game as it, as it stands now. Um, we've, we've mentioned the dementia issue uh, as one of, one of the things that's affecting the game now. Um, how have you found, first of all, that the whole period with COVID, uh, we've been in unprecedented times, haven't we? Um, What's what's been your take on it in terms of the footballing world? Have you do, do you think um, things have been things have been handled as well as they could be overall? Because well, there's been lots of well, the throwing with schedules, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one sure thing is I'm glad it's on TV because it's the only thing you know for the punters. I mean, if you didn't have tel- if you didn't have the football to look forward to, I mean, there's very little else you can do at the moment. So I think it's a good idea that they've, they've obviously continued the uh, the Premiership. Um, I mean, as regard, I mean, I, I think the standards for I think the guys are, I think the guys nowadays are more athletic, and it's a quicker game than when I used to play. Obviously, but having said that, the pitches are a lot better, the the facilities are better, but the game is much much quicker, and the refereeing's better. I mean, you guys watch when I used to play. I mean, you could. You, Get terrible tackles and the referees never. Whereas now, because it's there's so many cameras, you can't get away with anything. The game flows a lot better, and I think it's better for it. To be honest, I think it's. A, mm. Some people say it might. You know, you can't you can't tackle properly now. You can't give the old crunching tackles that guys used to give, and a little bit of that is, you know, is gone in the game. But I think overall, the speed and the athleticism now of the players is fantastic. I mean, it's such a quick game from end to end, and I think it's I think it's a better spectacle, to be honest, because of, because mm. the refereeing's better and there's the tackles aren't as bad. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching the uh, FA Cup final back um, a few times and absolutely cringing. Some of the some of the challenges going in were truly appalling. There was Whiteside on Chris Ramsey, which put him out of the game actually. And a few others besides. Um, some of the some of the tackles were truly horrendous. So we do complain about refereeing now. I do nowadays as well. But um, I'd imagine things have improved somewhat from that era. Uh, that must yeah, be said. I'm not sure everybody agrees with the VAR, but I mean, I think it's a bit pernickety. But I suppose it's fair. But it's not. I mean, if you have to, I mean, when you score a goal, it's a great feeling and you have to stand about for five minutes to find out if it's a goal or not. And I think that part of the game isn't great. But the VAR, the, fa- the fact that, um, you know, there's not blatant mistakes, I suppose, uh, it, the VAR is probably a good thing. But taking away the, you, you know, the euphoria and the instant 
from the fans as well, I'm sure. I mean, from the players mm. and the fans, you don't want to stand about and wait for a minute or two to find out. If, if, you, if you've beaten two players and chipped it in the top corner, you don't want to find out if your toes offside, to be honest. You just, you know, so there's pros and cons, I suppose, on, on the VAR system. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I, originally when it first came in, I was quite in favour because we had some dreadful decisions against it, I think, the previous season and, yeah. you know, ones where they were really clearly offside or whatever and somehow not given or should have been a red card for someone up for the other team but wasn't. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, so exactly, and it, to me, it was supposed to be brought in to, to remove clear and obvious errors, not to remove a player's, like, exactly, like, finger yeah. being offside or something or... When it's not even, you know, they don't even use their hand in the process. Like that ridiculous one, the Leeds guy who got a Bamford who got offside yeah. because he put his arm where to where he wants the ball to be passed to, and things like that just make you, you know, kind of mm. it's just so petty. Yeah, and I mean, the, I mean, the fans, the fans do come to see goals. Now they don't want to see a goal if, you, if you're two yards out and it's an obvious mistake. But for something like that, yeah, I think it benefit. But anyway, but then where do you draw the line? This is the thing: do you draw the line at uh, a toe rather than a toe nail? Mm. So. Um, but uh, it must be difficult. I mean, if you if you score a fantastic goal and you're in that zone and you're in the moment, and then you and then it's all it's all deflation when after after a few minutes. But uh, I think they'll maybe work at it and they'll, they'll gradually improve it. To be honest. Hmm. Just tracking back in time quickly as well, just to ask you. So, we're growing up. I mean, did you follow the team? Obviously, famously in Northern Ireland and and in Southern Ireland. Um, Pretty much everyone seems to follow one of the big sides over there. Man U, Arsenal, Liverpool were traditionally the, the sides. Did you follow a team or did you just follow Balamino? Was that your, your side? No, no I, I mean, obviously, like, but you, like you say, over here, it's either Liverpool or Manchester United for most kids. Uh, hmm. In those days, particularly. Um, but I suppose I would have preferred Manchester United because they, they had always a lot of Northern Ireland players playing for them. Guys like Jimmy Nickel who I played with, Sammy McElroy, Norman Whiteside, mm-hmm. played with all those guys. So um, you probably, you know, you lent more towards Manchester United. But I, I, I kind of, I support it. I kind of like to see Nottingham Forest doing well because it's, I'd spent a few times over with them. That was it, really. Um, but I always, I mean, nowadays Brighton is only, I mean, I even know a player at Burnley and Hearts. I mean, I, keep an eye on the results but for the last two or three years I'm as bad as any fans I mean I'm desperate for Brighton to stay in the Premiership because I think the more years we stay in then you have more chance of actually you know you can uh, you, you can sustain a higher position and you can gradually you know like do like a Burnley or something you know where you're in for a number of years you feel the last few years has been touch and go to be honest so um, hmm. I'm always looking for, I'm always hoping that Brighton yeah, I'm always, it's the first result I always look for every week, hoping that they get yeah. and stay Excellent. off. That's good to hear. And you, it sounds like you've been following a fair bit of it. Um, what have you made of the team? Who are your uh, standout players? And Stand how do you think we're doing? Yeah, as a as young fella, the right back, Tariq Lumpty, I think he's, he's a fantastic player. I think he could be the next England fullback from what I've seen if he gets fit again. I also like Basuma in midfield. I think he's a good, good player. Um, I've watched a lot of Brighton this year and they play a lot of good football without being very uh, like incisive at the end of it and I'm not just sure it's the front players it's it's kind of it's just the way the team's set up um, you know it's not they're yeah. not they're not 
creating clear cut chances. You know, they're, they're getting chances, but you wouldn't say they were getting to the byline. Like, I like to, still like to see players getting to the byline, and I, I like the way Sonny Marsh puts in a lovely ball. I, I, I still think you have to get to the byline. I bet like Man City do, they can nearly walk the ball into the net because they're cutting them back from the bylines and, and rather than just pressure. Um, yeah, I think, I think I, you know, Frank, uh, as I say, I watched Brighton and I think they're, they're more solid in the last few weeks. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping yeah. that, you know, in the next few, there's a few games coming up now where hopefully they should get a few points and uh, maybe get them safe. Yeah. I think um, the, we seem to have quite good stats, I think, for when we have done that, when we've got to the byline cut back I think we've had more success doing that according to some of the stats I was reading earlier on today and um, I'm, I'm wondering how Steve Penny circa mid 80s would get on in this team how do you reckon you'd fare um, well I need to be a lot fitter than I was that's for sure because as I say they are all athletes but um, I'm sure that would be, if I was playing now and I was 20 now I probably would be you know you'd be eating better stuff you'd be looking after yourself and all the rest of it but um, no, I mean just to play on those pitches to play, but uh, I mean, I, I I look at Brighton some days and I think, you know, there's not they they keep a lot of possession, but there's no there's no real incisiveness, and they, and yet like a team can break away against them and look more dangerous, but um. It's it's hard to I mean it's hard to explain, but um, I still think that I still think that I still think they'll stay up because of kind of, but they've they've just given a few goals away in the last few minutes where they maybe, you know they maybe uh, switch off. There's been a few times like uh, recently, uh, like the Man United game where they give away a penalty seven minutes and the other night against Palace. And then there's a few occasions there where they've given chances away in the last few minutes of the game, and now the other teams haven't taken them. So mentally um, strengthen up a wee bit, and I think they'll be probably be okay. Yeah. And um, in terms of or well, the wider scale, who, who's really impressed you across football in general at the moment? Who who are the real standout players for you in the, in the global? Obviously, Man City are the standout team. They have been for a number of years. Just the way they play, mm. I mean, nobody else can get the ball off them. It's the, just the, the, you know, the way they keep the ball and create chances. Um, but, I mean, they're kind of a one-off. I mean, they're by far the best team. Um, so, I think that's I think that's what everybody's trying to achieve. <laughs> play something like Man City, but I suppose they have all the millions and millions they can just buy whoever they want. You know the yeah. analysis. So, yeah, yeah, um, and I mean, probably only a couple of other questions for me. I've got one uh, from a friend actually, uh, which I'll come to in a minute. But um, the other question for me was going to be about um, just going back to the Albion. You've, I think, I understand you've been over a couple of times to the Amex, haven't you? So, what have you made of that? I mean, how good is it, and how have oh, you enjoyed your visits? Yeah, it's been great, and everybody's been very good. Uh, I've met the chairman and I've met uh, Ray Bloom, who used to be a director at the time. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've met I've met a lot of guys. Met uh, uh, Gary Chivers, who used to play with. He he's involved in the uh, in the hospitality side of it. Yeah, and it's always I've been made to feel very welcome. The couple of times I've been over. Yeah, so it's been 
it's been a great experience. Yeah. Excellent. It's um yeah, it's a world away from what we had before in the recent times beforehand. Anyway, um, and it's it's great. Um, it's great you've had a chance to get over and see it, and hopefully quite soon we'll all be able to get into stadiums again um, the, it seems as if the summer will be the time when it'll start to happen um, I think really I've just if, guys I don't know if you've got any other questions yourselves um, there's one question from a friend of mine Ian Davis affectionately known as Ian from Portsmouth um, you've sort of answered this I think earlier but I'll put it out there anyway he said to ask him how he coped with the move from Ballymena to the bright lights of Brighton Liam Brady famously just ate fish and chips when he arrived in London. I mean, were you, was, was that what you were doing? Were you eating fish and chips, Steve? No, we used to go down to Woody's Wine Bar and they used to do a lovely lasagna down in, in Hove. I don't know if it's still there, but it was a great spot. No, I was <laughs> I was eating the pasta and stuff then. No, and then as I say, I wasn't big, so I was always fed quite good. I wasn't on the McDonald's. Oh. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, still here. <laughs> just, you I've pressed just, on me, but you're still there. Yeah, just lost <laughs> you. Yeah, no, so it was, uh, I wasn't on the McDonald's or the Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, it was kind of reasonably healthy. <laughs> Excellent. Good stuff. Um, and, boys, any other questions? I mean, I think we – actually, you just mentioned Woody's. I don't know if that's the same place. Brett uh, Mendoza runs the Caxton Arms in Brighton. He's uh, thankfully getting back to having his pub open soon. He, he mentioned on Twitter the other day, um, really good fish and chips from a place called Woody's in Hove, funnily enough. So I wonder if that might be anything to do with the same place. I'm not sure. It used to be, it used to be an Italian, you see, so it was down. Yeah, yeah probably not then. Probably not. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Sure fair enough. Changed a fair bit since, since then. Excellent. Well, Steve, we'd better wrap it up there. We've taken plenty of your time up, but thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we hope very much you'll be able to join us again at some point in the future when perhaps we're celebrating our 10th year in the Prem in a row or something like that, or or maybe just in a year or two, um, who knows, so we could uh, celebrate again another year in the top flight. We're glad you're watching out for our games and um, and glad it's, uh, you know, it's it's going well so far. We've just got to make sure we survive, haven't we now? But um, no, thanks very much for joining us, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Nice to chat to you guys. All the best. Cheers, okay. Steve. You too, Steve. Thanks, Thanks very much time. for coming. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Cheers. See ya. All the best. Cheers. Yes, Steve Penny there. He was excellent value. We really enjoyed his company. If you've enjoyed this podcast or indeed any of the others, we'd really, really love for you to rate us online if you can, Apple or any other platforms which have the option for reviews please do help us out if you can by reviewing us five star reviews written reviews any of that stuff all helps us out and we appreciate it also if you wanted to contact the show you can do so via twitter by going to at brighton rock pod you can also email us it's brighton rock podcast at gmail.com and finally just to mention again that we are now affiliated with sport social podcast network if you wanted to look into any of their other content you can do so by going to www.sport-social.co.uk we hope you're enjoying this podcast now on with the final sections okay so just very quickly then it's uh, it's andy peter and i rejoined together for a very quick summary of um well the, the, the football news essentially We've got the West Brom game coming up at the weekend. We were going to do a full preview podcast. We decided not to do that. So this is just a, a bite-sized feature on that. Um, the game's coming up. It's 
obviously crucial off the back of the result the other day, uh, which we don't want to mention anymore. Um, it could be an open sort of game, couldn't it? Because we've got West Brom desperate for wins. They've, they're 11 points off safety and 15 behind us. So it's not so much about catching us as such. It's about catching whoever's 11 points ahead. There's a big gap. They've got to win. It means it's going to be an open sort of match, which depending on how successful they are coming forward, could be a benefit to us. If um, if we can keep them out, we can catch them on the break. Um, Sam Allardyce, what have you been saying? Um, has said some nice things about us, though, in the run-up to the game. Who's that? Yeah, I mean, he was talking about the fact that um, he felt that if we converted more goals, we had a, a clinical striker, we would have been eighth by now. Um, and yeah. that he thinks it's going to be one of the most difficult games for them this season. I mean, right. I, I, okay. th- I think you're right in terms of the fact that they've got to come for us because they've, they've got to win. We haven't, but they've got to win, really, haven't they? So, I mean, that, hmm. will, that will create opportunities for us if we can take them. Um, I mean, I've <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've played a, a big few, if. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've been living if. with all season. <laughs> it's a big if. But I mean, you know, um, I, I, I think for me though, and I've and I've said it, I've said it before. I'm a little bit um, apprehensive about when we're playing teams who might bully us a bit at the back. Uh, they got a big forward, and I was hoping that Webster would be back, and he's clearly not going to be back. You know, and so it's, um, yeah. you know, where do we, who do we play in those centre? three at the centre-backs there and will they be able to hold up to it and will we be able to cut out the crosses? Um, yeah, because yeah, of course that's the, that's Webster, the bad news Webster, come up. Hmm. Yeah, so Webster's a huge blow because, I mean, if, yeah, for those who haven't heard, he's now out till basically international break, which means he'll miss also to Lampton and Newcastle. I mean, Leicester, we probably yeah. wouldn't have got a result. They were not got a result anyway, but those two games and West Brom are huge games for us and to lose one of our best yeah. players. I don't understand how we seem to have players who are out for half an hour and then suddenly end up being out for like two years or something like that. It seems to be like... <laughs> I slightly it's the Albion way yeah but it's like it was like oh he might be available for the next game and then he's like oh he might be available for the next yeah. game and I was like oh no it's suddenly out for a month now <laughs> I don't know if we just don't we're very bad at predicting what injuries are or something but the, the good news yeah. is that Lamptey may be on the bench on Saturday, on Saturday which is positive yeah yeah. yeah I mean it, it, if he does come on it'll be as a late sub I'd imagine obviously it doesn't facilitate any chance of bringing Veltman into the middle and solving part of our centre-back issue that way for this game maybe it will in later matches possibly there is always Kobovnik to come off the um, out off the bench areas and uh, and to yeah. play a role as a left I mean, wing back maybe. Some sort of talk about that for West Brom. I'm not sure that's the right game to bring him in. To be honest with you, no, um, no, no. And you're right about Lamptey, but I mean, hopefully, if Lamptey gets back, then Veltman could go into the centre back positions. And if we're going to play Dan Burn, we can start playing him again at left wing back rather than mm. left centre half. Yeah, that's it. Not much else uh, news wise. I know Sunderland have been taken over by by a, a child, effectively. Uh, <laughs> not quite. He's a 23-year-old uh, billionaire. That's not too bad going, is it, for a 23-year-old? He is the son of a, I think, a $4 billion worth guy. Um, he's also apparently, the, I think, the distant cousin of, is it Julia Dreyfus, um, who's, who's the actress in American mm. comedy or something like that? Yeah, so it seems a famous family. Um, but anyway, yeah, new owners at Sunderland does sound. And quite they're positive, currently right? flying as well in the league. Sunderland, they look like they're on the edge. You know, they're well into the playoffs now, and they're having a a good spell. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, the I mean it's ridiculous. In... I mean they they it's such a big club. The, the idea that they're not even in the championship is like frankly ludicrous. Yeah. To be so. fair, they probably landed on a good manager now because Lee Johnson, I do rate to a, to a degree, and he's now I think he's he's turning things around for them. They've had another solid win at the weekend. Yeah, he's, he's certainly done well to to you know take them up. 
he was certainly good enough to take them up to the championship. Obviously, at Bristol City wasn't quite good enough to take the next step and to take them up to the Premier League. So whether that that happens, yeah. Oh, Bristol City's another one. Nigel Pearson is now their new manager. Bit more news. Oh right, it's, it's been appointed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Nigel Pope Pearson's been appointed at Bristol City, while Joey Barton's gone to Bristol Rovers. <laughs> oh joy, good old Joey, eh? Yeah. Um, well, that's that's pretty much it, news-wise. We just wanted to get a this little bit of um, extra stuff online, really, because um, we were going to have a preview, and I'm not sure if we're doing one formally for West Brom now. So that that was basically it. We were hoping to get Andy, a West Brom fan, on, um, but unless I catch up with him late in the day and tag back to this then uh, that'll be it for the preview. And we have just got through a chat with Steve Penny, which is going out as an episode, um, which was really good fun. Enjoy that one, boys. It was great. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, really nice. Really nice guy. guy. And, and, yeah. and you, you can't yeah. help but love a footballer that talks about Brighton in the sense of we. You know, yeah. Yes. We won, oh, yeah, we lost. Great. We need to do this. You just love them when they do that. Well, it's yeah. very rare, to, sounds- yeah, especially these days, to have someone who quite so much of their career was at... You know, Brighton in a sense. I mean, he was, I know he was only at the club for eight eight years like that, but that was yeah. the vast majority of his career. And so he kind of like it's great to yeah, as you can say to have yeah. that connection still for him. And yeah, you know, he, he, he of, wouldn't have left given from the town of it. Nineteen to, to twenty seven, wasn't he? I think yeah. he was at Ballymena as a as a youth before that, and yeah, just three years elsewhere. So very much we, which is great to hear. And um, and his week yeah, when he, he, he signed was amazing to play for like two reserve games, then sign, then play the first team at the weekend. I mean, that's a pretty hectic week. Players these days don't know they've been born, do they? <laughs> I was going to say, now, now he'd be rested for a month, wouldn't he, after yeah. two games in a week, you know. Easy yeah, into the side, get to know how we play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, indeed. And um, yeah, no, it was great, great to have him on. And um, it's hopefully we'll, we'll get him along to a Seagulls Over London meeting. We're all members of Seagulls Over London. It'd be good to get him down there, wouldn't it, at some point uh, yeah. soon. He said he'd be up for that if he's over. So um, yeah, all good. Anyway, thank you, boys. And we can now round off in the usual fashion. So Andy, thanks for joining us. Um, Peter, stand or fall? Up the Albion. <laughs> Okay, right. Well, for the very final part of this episode, we are now joined by Andy Coulson, who is a West Brom fan with a difference because he's not in the black country or anywhere around that way. In fact, it's decidedly white country at the moment. Uh, Looking at the snowscape behind you, Andy, welcome to the show. Tell us where you are because it looks stunning. Hey, Russ. Yeah, I'm in a place called Amherst, New Hampshire which is a place that notorious for hard, tough winters. We get six or seven feet of snow a year. You can ski probably about half an hour from here. I'm a teacher, so I ski after work quite often, which is not a bad, you know, bonus. And luckily I met someone who was coaching soccer out here. I met somebody within a coaching sort of uh, opportunity from a friend and uh, blind dates can lead to amazing things. And so I'm living the dream. <laughs> That is amazing. I mean, you showed us a quick guided tour with your, with your phone over the camera just now to have a look around. It looks stunning, barns, horses, um, just open, beautiful blue skies. Um, yeah. That's the life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah blessed. <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. But you're not from there. You're from, are you from um, Birmingham and, and thereabouts in general originally? Yeah, from Burton on Trent. So, uh, you know, it was only situations when I was a kid, Derby with the epicenter of most family support you know teams teams to support a cluffy back in the day i used to get to derby never a fan my dad sort of made you know it was a joy to go my god we saw championship years you know we saw the damn united years but neither of my siblings were fans you know we, we used to get to the baseball ground look for the west brom scores 
And so we were never convinced we Derby fans. And so when we were older, we got a train into Birmingham, got some buses to Bert, uh, so to West Brom, sorry. And I've been a fan yeah. ever since. You know, it's been a been a been a very uh, amazing experience. You know, the good and the bad. Brilliant, superb. So you look out for Burton results as well. I noticed from your Twitter account, um, and they're they're fighting to stay in the championship at the moment, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah. But... I, used to, I used to play against Burton back in the day in you know, a semi-pro, and so um, yeah, I used to go to Burton. That was again as a bus ride as a kid, a couple of bus rides. That was when they were in Division Seven or Eight. And so, you know, it's been a very, very progressive move. You know, it's never been Championship Division one year. So I'm used to playing the Northern Premier League. And one of your players eventually came from Burton, a guy called Peter Ward. Indeed, was, yeah. Yeah, he's a thrilling, yeah, handsome, I think it was a Forest maybe at first, or Brighton Forest, Forest Brighton. I'm not sure what the actual order was, but he was a heartthrob of a player. You know, black hair, he was silky skilled at that level. Took, took his chance as well. And every Burton fan, you know, every Burton supporter then, the first result to look for was Brighton, yeah. So, yeah, Excellent. he's a part of this. Yeah, well, I think he's from that part of the world originally as well. And, and, and yeah. anyone that's heard him speak will probably recognise a similarity of, of tone and accent, actually, because yeah. yours does sound very similar. In fact, your voice cord sounds quite similar to him as well. So we might get you on as a, as a fake Peter Ward guest in the future, maybe. Well, uh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I mean, apart from the local team, um, obviously your heart is with West Brom, and they've they've had their ups and downs. At the moment, well, the last last count, it was an up into the Prem, um, but you've um, you've had an, a bit of a struggle this season, haven't you? And it's admittedly not looking great at the moment. What's your take on the season as a whole, and also on the sacking of Slavan earlier in the season as well? There's a lot, lot of uh, content there, Russ. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, let's let's go back in time. We ended the season really badly in the in, in the championship. We came up by default. The COVID, whether COVID or not, we and we're never the same team under Billich. And we got him accidentally. Brentford losing to a Barnsley gave us that you know ridiculous opportunity to get in there. We didn't strengthen. We stayed with the same squad pretty much. And the players we brought in, Slavin Bilic anyway, not on his decision-making. It was by, uh, by the director of soccer, a guy or football, sorry, a guy called Dowling. He made some of these decisions. And no balance at all. Very similar sort of wide-ish, skillful-ish, not athletic enough midfield players, not going to keep you up with a weaker defence. Getting Ivanivich, Ivanivich is pronounced properly, uh, or Branislav, yeah, at 37 was a massive gamble and a huge salary. You know, I loved him at Chelsea. I rated him, you know, he was a player, but he just can't cut at this division. And so it's been a very, very sort of, you know, the occasional, you know, good result not, hasn't been good. Of course, occasional good results, City away, drawing. And then uh, Bilic learning on the bus on the way back to the ground that he lost his job. So that was atypical, mm. you know, not exactly a great situation in West Brom. Weirdly, one of our better performances actually was at Brighton, the first game where you were brilliant first half and for whatever reason you shut off second half and we equalised and it could have gone either way. So then big Sam takes yeah. over. Um, I've got to say he's got made some good signings, you know, regardless of, you know, his, his tactics we're actually going to play you with a, probably our best 11 of the season, which is, you know, which is bad timing for Brighton, perhaps. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I, 
again, you know, it's one of these things, it's too late for us this season. And the players we've got, it's, they're, in a sense, it's a shop window for them. No one's kidding themselves. They're staying at West Brom, playing against Lincoln next year. You know, they're there to try and make an impression and stay in the Premier League like Brighton are going to be. So, it's, yeah, it's going to be, it's been an you know, interesting path. And, uh, yeah, we'll see where it all goes. Yeah, having watched, uh, I did still keep in touch with quite a bit of the EFL action and um, watching you guys last season, I have to say it was a team that looked decent, looked good enough to go up, but not in the convincing way that very few clubs have done. You could look to Wolves, unfortunately, your your rivals, but but they are a good example of a team where you, you look at them and you think they're definitely going to stay up. I wasn't even sure about Leeds, to be honest, and they've, they've done all right, but um, it is such a tough transition to try and establish yourself in that first season and despite some some decent efforts from some clubs um, it, it's still hard to avoid in the end isn't it and um, it's no coincidence that Sheffield United who came up the previous year and um, and obviously Fulham and yourselves are, are struggling at the moment it is such a tough division um, I mean ultimately you've got a couple of massive games you've got us and you've got Newcastle coming up soon as well haven't you and I suppose if you if you manage to win both those games and other results around those times go your way uh, for both you and others. There's an outside chance, but it sounds to me as if you've uh, you've pretty much resigned yourself to uh, to not making it. Is that would that be a fair assessment? I think it's a pretty. I think if you're a betting man, you know, I think percent wise, yeah. it's like ninety percent going down. But still, I'm an optimist. That two percent is still enticing, and it has to start with two wins. That's why it's, it's going to be a pretty exciting game on Saturday because West Brom can't play for a draw. If we're yeah. drawing, it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. And Allardyce can't argue for that. You know, if we lose 2-1 to a late goal because we're committing four, well, it's fine. You know, it's, we give it a shot. I think it's a lot worse to get, you know, stick, stick at 1-1 and, or 0-0 or whatever and, you know, take that point. Same against Newcastle. Get the two wins. You know, you're dragging teams in. You're dragging doubt. And that's all, you know, at this stage, that's all West Brom have. So try and get other teams' mindsets, including Brighton, to be honest with you. Mm. So, yeah, you know, it's dragging those teams in. Fulham have shown how it it can be done. The gap now, obviously, it's one game between you and them. So for us, yeah, these are, you know, cliche two cup finals and, you know, two we have to win. Yeah, it should make for an interesting game. I mean, for, for us, we tend to play better against better teams because they come at you or anyone in your position who's got to come at us for, you know, it, it, and that could benefit us. However, it depends how well you come at us. Um, you've had some players that certainly some of my fellow podders have, um, have been quite impressed with uh, chatting with uh, one of the Andes we have on our show, um, aside from yourself. <laughs> um, he, he was, um, he was very complimentary about your new signings in particular and about the adventurousness that you've been adopting for games recently. So if you manage to hit us with one of the earlier chances, that gets very interesting. Um, but I think it will also benefit us potentially. So it should be a good game. I agree with you. I think uh, that's all we can hope for and um, and see how it pans out. Um, have you got any predictions for the game? Do you reckon this is going to end up in a draw when all said and done? Or do you fancy your chances? I fancy chances. I've got to say, yeah. you have to. You know, I can't watch it saying we're going to lose. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Heads is one-one. Heads says we're going to cancel each other out, and you know we're still in that sort of you know ridiculous drop zone. Uh, hmm. But no, my head, my heart, sorry, tells me we're going to get we're going to squeeze a two-one. I think that uh, you know you're going to score. 
no doubt about I, I don't think you know about that again it's a little bit about your ambition as well you know if you do take a lead you're going to push on try and get a second but I think mm. there's enough I think there's got enough defensive cover now you know we've got better shape and I think with Diagne the new the new signing as a forward uh, Kimbama Pereira we have a threat now and yeah I, I do fancy us tomorrow I've got to say yeah, it's it's got the potential to go wrong for us. And off the back of the result that I don't wish to mention at all, <laughs> this just happened. Um, that's dragged us back in where we really shouldn't have been. We should, by rights, have been up onto 29 points now and yeah. and sitting relatively pretty. Um, but obviously, that having not got that and with Fulham improving their results, the pressure's on. Um, and in terms of what we do, I'm not sure we would sit back, certainly for a draw. I think... Given the results last time out, we need to try and get three points on the board here because we've got Leicester next. Um, you know, we could end up right in the zone, literally, um, if we don't get a result tomorrow. So um, as we speak. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. We haven't played each other very often at all, have we? We're talking about the head to head stats. Um, well, we've, we've rarely played each other. According to what I'm looking at here, we've only had 13 games um, of which... We've won one, which I think was a cup match. You've uh, won four, and there's been eight draws, according to this. I don't know. It's not my usual form of reference here. I had to go to a different form of reference because my internet wasn't working too well. But um, it looks like, um, yeah, a draw is the likely result, according to the history books as well. Yeah, I think in the league, yeah, we're unbeaten. In the cup, it was a replay uh, a couple of years ago. We tied at your place, and you beat us at our place. You know, deservedly, I've got to say. My uh, for, for good news for Brighton, I mean, if you need good news, Lamps is back. And I think he's an absolutely yeah. tremendous player. You know, he was superb. He played as Dean Garner in the first game. And, uh, you know, got two young players of pace, of technical ability. Real test, I've got to say. And Lamps, won it, hands down. And I don't think yeah. Dean Garner's been the same player since. And I would have loved to play without him for you. I think he's a really high-quality player. And he yeah, didn't see a red card either. That red card was bullshit. Can I use that word? In this uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, a little further than that. But no, it was, it was a wrong decision. And I really felt for Brian that day because, you know, yeah. I know how good he is in this ridiculous disciplinary system where you get three cards for that. I mean, madness. Yeah. We've got what, what I'm now just calling Brighton yellows, which is just these soft yellows that not just soft in terms of what they're given for, but the fact they're given at all. And yeah. particularly when we're playing physical teams, but in general, we just seem to pick them up willy-nilly for for no good reason. Disproportionate number of them. It's it's really frustrating. Happened again in the last game as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it it's certainly going to be a difficult one to predict. If you guys do win, as you're hoping will be the case, um, where is this game won and lost in terms of your players? Who who do we need to look out for? For anyone that doesn't know, you need to look out for Yukuslu, who is uh, a is the best sort of defensive midfield player we've had since a guy called Claudia Jakob. Um, you need this. You can have all the flair in the world, but if you're not controlling the zone between the defence and the midfield, you're going to lose the game. So he's made a massive impression. Saying that, he could be a yellow card waiting to happen. He really hits his tackles hard. And if you miss times one, you know, we've got to be careful with that. Pereira is a beautiful player on his day. And now he has targets around him, you know, we'll say with Diagne. Gallagher is finding his form again, his confidence. We need to push on. He needs targets. He has that now. 
And so, yeah, it's certainly, you know, there are players in the squad that, uh, that have improved the team, no doubt about it. And, of course, Sam Johnston in goals, it, it may be his last year because he's out of contract next year. If get relegated, do we cash in? Because he's had a fantastic season. So he has to play yeah. well as well. So, you know, it's all yeah. four areas of the pitch, I think. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good player, isn't he? Like Gallagher was one of those that was uh, instrumental in getting back into the game, wasn't it? The Amex, I think, from yeah. what I remember. Yeah, and it was, yeah. defend- Defensively, that's been the one area which um, certainly friends of mine have said looks like the weaker point for you guys. Would you say that's about right overall? I mean, look yeah. at the goal difference it is. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, the goal difference has been completely sort of uh, imbalanced by when we let one. And again, I'm sure Potter's going to say this. If they let one in, you've got to get the second one quick because West Brom have got this habit of just switching off. And so we've let one becomes three, becomes four, becomes. You know, I don't think it's going to happen like that. But Brighton put, uh, sorry, Palace put five passes at the Hawthorne. So did Leeds. I think those days have gone with a new signings, new shape. But yeah, you know, I think for you, your best form of defence is attack and to get goals and sort of to, you know, to put doubts in West Brom's minds. So yeah, um, I think the shape of the team's better. So in a sense, it's the wrong time to play us, but still we can be had in defensive positions. And yeah. Jai's not playing, so it's going to be O'Shea as a centre-half. He's a good player in his true position. But, yeah, I think yeah. for you, that's where you should be attacking, yeah, for sure. Yeah, our, our biggest weakness is the fact that we're missing now players that have been playing very well for us this year. Lamptey, you've mentioned, obviously, is, is likely to maybe come off the bench, if anything, more than... Uh, I don't think he'll start this game. It'll come too soon for a full 90 or a... Or, or a 60, 70 minutes then. But um, he might come off the bench. But Webster and March have been playing very, very well for us. And they're both missing uh, Webster for a few weeks, March for the whole season, which is in general a, bit, a big blow for us. So that's the one area where um, I feel probably we don't concede, certainly not the two goals against Palace, but he's not he's not in the team. We could concede goals like that again. Let's hope not from a Brian point of view. Yeah. But for the other Albion, you'll be um, you'll be hoping for the exact opposite, of course. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Well, Andy, thanks for joining us for the pod. Um, we'll um, we'll maybe catch up with you again later in the season, possibly. Um, if not, very best of luck after today, and um, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> thanks, Russ. Thanks for inviting me, and uh, good luck to see you. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.